And uh, good afternoon, everyone. Charles Moskowitz. I am back for the third time today. Great doing broadcasting today. Reminds me of the old days when I used to do talk radio many years ago. And uh, it's the kind of thing I'm getting back into now, actually. And I'm joined by an old pro, actually, in talk radio, that being Bill Tatro, who is an economist. And we do need to talk to an economist right now. Uh, Bill, thanks for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, Charles. Love the technology. You know, it's it's amazing what you can do now. I mean, anyone can be a media mogul. <laughs> um, Remember the days you had to sit in the studio and they had to cue you? And oh, yeah. That? And when the train left the station, if you weren't on it, forget it. You had That's to be right. there. Uh, Bill, so you, you're an economist. You, you've written so many uh, interesting articles about... Um, the American economy in particular, and the coronavirus. And now we have, of course, the new wrinkle of the um, these various, uh, you know, communist um, activists uh, looting and burning minority cities, uh, neighborhoods. Um, and that, that has to be factored into the consideration. But in the overall, um, do you think that, um, how do you think the recovery is going to take place now that the, um, the virus is receding and that, that we're moving in the direction of getting back to normal, hopefully soon. Well, there's going to be a recovery. But the problem is, is that the, dyna the dynamics have totally changed now. And what I mean by that, imagine if you are a restaurant owner. We'll just take that particular business, because that seems to be in the forefront of conversation a lot now. But you're a restaurant owner, and you have a model. You know, the world today is run on the Keynesian philosophy. There's two types of economists out there. There's Keynesians and there's Austrians. I'm an Austrian. I'll give you a quick sidebar. I went to George Washington University. My professor was John Kenneth Galbraith. Okay. Who was a major Keynesian. Absolutely. And he used to say to me, and my name is Tatro. It's pronounced Tatro. But he used to say, Mr. Tatro, you will never understand this because you are an Austrian. And I go, no, doctor, I was born in upstate New York. He goes, no, 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 no. And he says, but Keynesian is the Keynesian world. Well, we went away from it for a while, but now we're back to it. And all Keynesians put things on models. The Keynesian philosophy says that if it doesn't work, it's not because the thing is wrong, the philosophy is wrong. It's because you haven't done enough of it. You haven't printed enough money. You haven't gone into deep enough debt. you got to do more and more and more. So when you look at a business, when a restaurant is going to reopen, they have, they have been around, let's say a restaurant's been around for 10, 15 years, successful. They know how many people are going to come in on a Tuesday night or a Saturday night. They, they shop accordingly. They buy their, their foodstuffs. They know how to staff. They know everything. That's their model. Now when they come back, it's all changed. Because you take any city, they're talking about social distancing. Will you have 200 people on a Saturday night that you're planning at? Or will you only have 75? How do you staff it? Will your employees come back? So we're into a whole new dynamic. It's kind of like, I, I've been saying this on shows I've been on and I've been writing and talking. It's kind of like a sea change. When we went from an agrarian society to a manufacturing society. Everything had to change. When we went from that manufacturing to, we'll say, information, it all changed. Now we're into a totally different dynamic. And economically, there will be many failures, but there will be some successes. Because some people will figure it out. 
but it's going to be a whole different world, Charles, a totally different world. You know, in a way we are going, it seems like we're going back to the agrarian model in this country in that you have people who are operating like I'm operating right now in the home with a computer running a business. You've got uh, a, a kind of a, a smaller manufacturing, smaller uh, services. Um, you know, it's in a way it's a move toward localism that uh, people aren't, there's not going to be this massive travel and that, uh, you know, that, that may not be a bad thing. I mean, there's both pluses and minuses to it, but in a sense, uh, people are trying to protect their local community and their local life more. And I hope that going forward, that's going to be the approach to dealing with the virus now that we've had this national lockdown. Maybe in the future, we can have a means by which if there's an outbreak of this disease or any other disease, we can handle it locally and make sure it doesn't spread and uh, let everyone else continue to function normally. Um, I wonder, you, you, yeah. you, have three, you, you just said a whole mouthful there. I mean, you've got like 15 shows in what <laughs> you just said, quite honestly. Because when, when, you, when you look at it, yes, there will be positives that come out of this. There always are. Imagine the farm boy who thought he was going to live on the farm and work on the farm and, and marry and have children on the farm for the rest of his life. And all of a sudden, somebody said, no, farm life is over. you got to go to the city and work in the plant. That's going to be terrible. That's going to be the worst thing in the world. I can't do that. But then he goes and he finds the benefits of working in the plant. So each time that we've had these sea changes, whether they've been, and one has to wonder, is this, is this a man-made total situation? I mean, there's so much to, you know, you look at this thing. Is this an accident of nature? Is this God putting his finger on the world? Um, I understand from people, friends of mine who are around the world in different places, the oceans have never been cleaner. The water has never been purer. So, you know, you get things that are going to come positive out of it, but it's that transition, Charles. It's getting from here to there, and that's where the difficulty is. You know, um, I, I look at the, what's going on in the cities right now, and, you know, you, you characterize the people there. I guess we could do that. But I just, you know, I can't get my hands around that. I can't grasp what it is people are looting for or burning for. I'm a child of the 60s. I was at George Washington University in 1964. you got to remember, in 1964, the Civil Rights Act was put forth by, by Lyndon Johnson. The country was in turmoil. I was arrested protesting in front of the White House. But we protested for something specific. We were protesting the Vietnamese War at that time. Right. There was something actually real going on. No, no That's question. right. So, I mean, it's like I can't get my hands. But so, as I said, from this one point, from where we are to when we, we move out to the other side, you know, Donald Trump had said it was going to be, one by Easter? Yeah, all over. By, <laughs> but you see, the one thing that Trump didn't say is what year Easter. So right, I think I he, he kind of left it open there. But that's Well, nobody could thing. predict that, yeah. Yeah, getting from one side to the other, that's, that's, that's going to be the difficulty. Now, I want to ask you, because you mentioned that you're an Austrian versus a Keynesian. I saw the interview recently with uh, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on 60 Minutes, and he clearly is a Keynesian. I mean, he was saying that the problem right now is that Congress and the government is not spending enough 
He said, we have to put more money in and that uh, the, uh, the interview was said to him, a very honest, blatant question. I was shocked to hear a Federal Reserve chairman mention this, but he said, how do you create the money? Do you just print it? And he said, yeah, we do. That's basically what, or we move a couple of computer, uh, you know, get, you know, the mouses around and click. And, uh, and the argument that he made was basically that in a time like this, when there was a major contraction in production, and um, a major, you know, removal of um, of employment and all of the things that are, that accompany that contraction, you have to spend more to keep everybody afloat and to make sure that things continue to function. It's not a time to cut back, and that once things are back to somewhat semblance of a normalcy, that's when you do the cutting back, and that it's this kind of like a wave. I mean, you you pump money in when there's a downside. You pull the money back out when there's an upside. And I think that that's basically the summation of the Keynesian idea, isn't it? Well, you're absolutely right. And as an Austrian, and I, who am I to question Jerome Powell, but that would be like saying, let's see, uh, Jerome Powell is simply echoing um, the prior Federal Reserve chiefs going back to Greenspan. Sure. They've all had the same exact policy. If you go back and think when Greenspan cut interest rates after 2000, then when Bernanke in 08 um, cut, uh, kept the interest rates down, Fed, we got started quantitative easing, which, by the way, is nothing new. I mean, that's been around forever and ever, but pr primarily started by the Japanese. You see where they are three decades later, no growth, stagnant, okay? Um, but Jerome Powell is simply echoing the Keynesian philosophy, which is, again, just print, print, print. And if it's wrong, well, print more. And so when he said, you know, the, the Federal Reserve has a checkbook, you and I would get arrested for writing checks with no money. We go right. to jail. That's fraud. That's, that's, a, that's a crime. But the Federal Reserve is able to print and create money out of thin air. Now, when you take a look at it, and if, you know, I, I don't want to bore your listeners with, uh, you know, the dryness of economics, but the real simplicity is that what you get is the money that was being printed in 08 never got into the system, okay? You get different people out there that are saying, okay, inflation, inflation, inflation. There's so much money out there that we're going to have inflation. Now, remember, inflation is not rising prices. Contrary to what people think, it is not rising prices. It is too much money chasing too few goods. That's inflation. The result is rising prices. That is the, that is the, the thing that happens. Prices go up. So why didn't they go up in 2008? Because the money that was being printed by the Federal Reserve did not get to you and me. It did not get to the people. It got short-stopped at the banks. And when the banks, what the banks did then was able to take it, lend it to the corporations who did not put it into their business. They didn't put it into people. They didn't put it into bricks and mortar or put it into new technology or research and development. They simply used it to buy back stock. Okay. Well, so well but by doing that, wasn't that a way to, you know, sort of an end run, get the money back into the economy? Because obviously if they're buying back their investors, then that, the money goes into their pocket and they either consume it or they invest it. Well, that's true, Charles. If you have that misguided belief, and I don't mean to insult my, Not at all. my host, 
But if you have the misguided belief that the majority of stock in this country is owned on an equal basis by the average guy in the street, then oh, I no, no, I don't, I don't have any illusions about that. I'm even okay, saying the super that. rich. Yeah, I mean, right. so but they, the but they have to do something with the money. They're not going to stick it into a, a shoebox. I mean, they're going to either invest it or they're going to spend it. And, and they're going to build stuff, or they're going to do stuff with it. Ah, ah, you see, that is the Keynesian argument, that the rich guy is going to do stuff. Okay, Charles. Uh, Warren Buffett walks into the local sandwich shop, okay? Mm -hmm. And he walks in, and the 10 people who normally go in there don't have any money, so they can't go in there and buy the sandwiches. But Warren Buffett walks in, and he buys the one sandwich. The rich man buys the sandwich. How many sandwiches can Warren buy? If he's buying it for the total community, that's one thing. But he's not. He buys one sandwich. Mm -hmm. This was the problem back in 1929. Nobody had any money. But when you take a look in 29 or 30, 31, 32, 33, but when you look, the rich people went through the Depression very easily, very well. They did very well. We're in the same environment right now. In fact, right now, we are worse. Why are we worse than we were in 08? Because... All of a sudden, not only do the people out there not have any money, they don't have any jobs. Now, all of a sudden, unemployment rate runs to 25%, 20%, whatever number you want to throw at it. But I would argue, and it's always good to have that you know, back and forth with the host and the guest, um, I would, I would make, take the position that um, the, the idea of trying to get the money into the system somehow has gotten, once again, backstopped. Who made a lot of money in the first, let's, let's get the money into the system with the, the payroll and stuff like that? I know the big banks, they were set up. Did any, of, did any of the government's money go through local banks? No. It went through the big majors. They got their piece of the action first. How many people out there have actually been getting checks? I don't know. Now they're starting. I haven't got mine. Where's my no, actually, actually, I think a lot of people are. I haven't gotten one either, but I think a lot of people are getting them and people are getting... Now, that brings me to the question of, um, of unemployment. I mean, you've got 14 million people who are temporarily unemployed. Doesn't the government... I mean, this is, again, the argument made by, the, um, by Powell and by, by the Keynesians that you have to give them enough to, to, get through, to pay for their way because, first of all, I mean, and this is on your side, we have a debt-oriented economy, so people don't have the resources. If there's one thing we've learned from this, is that people don't have enough reserve to last two or three weeks. I mean, everyone's going by the paycheck. So, you know, we can take a look at a very overall look at how this economy functions, and it should be a savings-based rather than a debt-based economy. But given the fact that we are debt-based, don't you have to have that extra unemployment and that extra catastrophe amount added to it? I mean, that's I, uh, what, what would the Austrians do in okay, a time I like would, this? I would say the answer to that is no. Okay. Now, let's go back to what you said. What you said earlier was that, is it possible good things will come out of this? And my point is, yes, I think good things will come out of this. We have been a society for many years, okay, let, I got I'm a historian also, so I like I have to go back. Right. You go back to 1919 and 1920. 1919 was the worst year for this country, one of the worst years. We had just come out of the war. The war had ended. Men came back from the war. There were no jobs. 
it was absolutely terrible and there was no money. So you had a great uh, depression at that point in time. And so what guys like Henry Ford discovered was that the mass were consumers. Remember, automobiles were built for the rich guy. What he decided was to build automobiles for the poor people, so to speak. Okay. Mm -hmm. But then they decided to wait a minute, if we're going to build a vacuum cleaner, an automobile, buy a house, people don't have the money. What do we do? That's when credit first started. In 1920, we started credit. And when credit, people found that they could go to the store, they could buy this. They didn't have credit cards, but they had credit, layaway plans, etc. Out of that came the roaring 20s. Okay. We became a country that lived on debt. For the next 100 years, we have made it um, not just a science, but an art of living on debt. We have gotten to the point where everybody's got to have this. We've got to have instant delivery, thus Amazon. We've got to have, um, we got to be able to go on that multi-thousand dollar vacation. We've got to put the new wing on the house. We got to have it and we can do it. But now all of a sudden, we can't. Do we sit back and we say to the government, the government has a choice. The government says, well, I will give you the money to maintain your lifestyle. The Austrian says, no, you figure out a different lifestyle. You figure out, remember, Charles, I was on Wall Street for 40 years, okay? I used to tell people at the end of my career, before I retired, I've been in radio and television for a long time, author, et cetera, but I used to tell people at the end of my career, financial planning is bogus. It's bogus. And people say, you manage hundreds of millions of dollars. You have thousands of clients. How could you say it's bogus? Because the world can change like that. Your money can go like that. We could have a devaluation of the currency. Inflation could go up. Your $100,000 could maybe buy you a loaf of bread. It can change like that. So when you get ready to retire, yes, save, put money away, do the things. But understand this. What you have when you get ready to leave or retire, that's what you have. Live based upon that. So today, I mean, look, you're not in a studio. You've learned how to do something different. We all learn how to do something different. I wrote a book several years ago, One Hour Survival Guide for the Downsize. It was in 2000, 20 years ago. It's just as, we're gonna put it out again. It's just as important today. I used to say to people, don't, don't, cut everything off you do but figure out a different way to do it okay so you got netflix so you don't spend thirty dollars at the movie theater you spend five dollars or ten dollars a month on netflix you take a walk hand in hand with your wife or girlfriend you look at the sunset you do things that don't cost you money we learn how to get back to it see if you don't have the new car you're not the good guy and so what we do in the government we feed into that we have to have met charles remember one man's wants may be another man's needs, or vice versa. Well, well, first of all, I mean, I think that it, you obviously have to have some credit in an economy because you can't no afford, you can't buy a house with cash. You can't buy a car with cash. You know, there are big items that we do need or we do can justify that uh, are just going to be expensive. I mean, I think that I would agree that that if we have more of a transition toward a, uh, a savings-based economy as opposed to a debt-based economy, then, then, then that's a good thing. But um, 
it, you know, in, in a time like this, given the fact that we do have a debt-based economy, we can't just do that overnight. You can't just wave a wand. It has to be a transition. And I think the transition is ultimately, and this might sound very controversial, but I believe that the federal government and the Treasury Department and the Congress need to buy back the debt from the Federal Reserve over time and phase it out and then issue currency directly based upon what the economy requires, interest-free. Um, that this would result in a, a situation by which, you know, the money will be worth what it's worth. It won't be a debt instrument. And that the and, and to mirror that, people and states and governments and they would also operate on the actual cash that they have, that they've created. It wouldn't be a balloon. So you want to monetize the debt. I mean, that's monetization of the debt. Yes. Which is what we're doing right now. And, and it's probably a positive development here. I, I think it has to be done slowly and carefully because you have to make sure that people who have, you know, securities who are retired and people who, you know, that everybody's, uh, you know, the bonds are stable and that everything goes properly. There may have to be some haircuts involved, maybe. But I think if it's done carefully and over time, then we could move to a, a, a savings-based economy and a more localized economy and not this one that's that, that we have to then balloon up the debt every time there's a crisis. But right now, today, we have to do that because of the economy. We can't just, you know, it's just the facts on the ground, so to speak. Okay, so let me let me throw this at you. Okay, so now I'm gonna I'm gonna play uh, host and you be guest. Okay, I'll throw this out at you. Okay, okay. okay. Um, so I'm an employee at the local restaurant, and I could go back to work for seven dollars an hour, or eight dollars or ten dollars, and get my tips based upon two hundred people a night. But there might only be seventy five people a night, and so therefore my tips aren't going to be good. Or I can sit home drawing my unemployment and get uh, my extra 600 a week or whatever it is and make more money by sitting home than going to work. Okay, they're gonna let that, they're gonna close that off on July 31st unless we all argue, and I would make this case that they will extend that. The politicians, it's a political year, they're gonna extend that. So now all of a sudden we've now taken one major step closer to socialism. I mean, we are a socialist country anyway with many different aspects, but we've now taken that one step. But here's the thing that I would, I would throw out, okay? And I understand where you're coming from. I, I understand that. Um, it's a solution. But now you're going to have to repeal the laws of economics to be able to do that. And what I mean by that is if all of a sudden, if they're monetizing the debt and every time we get into trouble, why send me $1,200? Why not send me $5,000? Make it more comfortable for me. And some politician will say, didn't we hear Bernie Sanders say, you shouldn't get 1200 you should get 2000 or three sure. or four, whatever yeah. it is, right? Okay, so now the guy who is, what comes to mind, Charles, is the picture in 1927, 1928, of the guys with the wheelbarrows in Germany with money in the wheelbarrow being paid at noontime. Nobody ever asked, you know, I have students and people who I, I teach them like that, say, well, why did they pay them at noontime? Very simple. Because the, if they didn't pay them at noon, they would have to wait to buy the bread at the in the afternoon, and it was much more expensive in the afternoon because it kept going up and up and up and up. They got paid at noontime with that cash, 
they were able to buy the bread. That's what you'll have. You monetize that debt. That's, and Paul knows that, okay? Ultimately, eventually, okay, we will, as we move to the other side, you monetize the debt, money's gonna be worth basically nothing. I mean, since the Federal Reserve started in 1913, the, the dollar is 97% in purchasing power less than it was then. And that was with normal uh, inflation, et cetera. Given how they monetized the debt the last six months, year, three years since Obama, I mean, I don't know, what's it gonna be worth uh, five years from now, 10 cents? Who knows? That's the danger that you run into, major danger. Well, well, the only thing that might counteract that is if production increases, if you have more of a need for money because you've got more people you know, doing A, B, and C, and you need, you know, money for transactions, and uh, you've got more people saving. And you know, in other words, if there's an overall increase in product in 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 national production, then that would absorb the extra money. Okay, and, so you're going with supply and demand. You're saying a greater supply will meet the demand, and so if we have more supply, obviously, and as as Galbraith used to tell me, supply and demand dictates everything. I mean, everything is driven by supply and demand. It's possible. Yeah. I don't agree with that, but it's possible. Well, that plus the, the ultimate constriction of excess, excess monies by retiring the debt through, um, through the, 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 as I said, the Treasury actually creating money and buying back the bonds slowly so it doesn't be, result in inflation. I mean, these things have to be done over, over decades. But it's, we're talking maybe a little bit more philosophically here, that we want to learn lessons from this particular crisis and move the country toward a, uh, a savings-based economy. I don't even think you and I disagree that much on that. No, let's, let's, but let's go back for something, okay? The, the expansion of the Federal Reserve's balance sheet was so dramatic that you know at last year, at the end of 2019, the Federal Reserve Powell put forward this, the beginning of the reduction of the balance sheet. Right. That freaked out Wall Street so badly that we had a major plummet, and all of a sudden, Powell and the rest of the Federal Reserve officials go on TV and go, oh, no, we're done. That's it. No, no, no more. In fact, we're going to reinstitute quantitative easing. As a matter of fact, and this is before the coronavirus hit, right? Right, right, sure. And we're going to, we're going to uh, uh, kind of be status quo. So the question becomes, what is driving all of this? Is it Wall Street that ultimately is the, 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 the raison d'etre for the Federal Reserve? Okay, I mean, will they, everybody recognizes that if you don't reduce the balance sheet, the, the inflation aspect will be there, but is that a bad thing for Wall Street? Is it a bad thing for the market? Is it a bad thing for that 1%? Now we get back to circle all the way around What's really happening here? What is, you know, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an author. I like, I like novels, okay? I've written novels. I, I, I like all this stuff. Um, and so I look at this as the great conspiracy theory. Um, who's driving all this? Is this just happening by accident? Or are we really having something done, okay? Charles, I want to show you one thing, okay? I don't know if you can see this. Can you see that? Yes, I can. 44th okay. presidential, a presidential what? I don't see the whole thing. The presidential conspiracy. Uh, okay. Is this okay, a book? Yeah. Did you write this? It's by me. Okay. okay. It's, I wrote that book in 2016. 
what's what's I what's ironic about this, and I've had people who it's all pretty well, okay. And what's ironic is I've had people calling me up and sending me emails and say everything in your book is coming true. Coming true. Right. And I said, what do you mean coming true? I said, I know it's coming true, but now with the riots that in your book, your president wants to not have an election. So what happens? There is a creation of riots in city after city after city, and ultimately martial law is called. And since there's martial law, there's no election. Now, I know this is terrible that I just did that. Self-promotion. All right. Well, hey. why, not, why not hold it up? It's a real, so, it's a real uh, concern. I mean, so that's the book. Okay. okay. If people want to read what's going to happen, I, it's a very quick read. Okay. It's a very fast read. Yeah. I think you can get it for like, I don't know, 99 cents on Amazon. So anyway, but that's my self promotion, but no, no, I no. Get, I mean, that's a, it's a very troubling thought. And, uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's going to happen like that. Um, I think that if we had had a liberal in the white house right now, like a Hillary Clinton or, or, or one of those uh, sort of establishment types, we probably already would have martial law because of the coronavirus. We would have had concentration camps. I don't mean that in the Nazi sense, but I mean, they would have been sending people away who would dare to step out on their lawn too long, you know, because they weren't uh, sheltered or, you know, we would have had um, entire industries nationalized, which is what mayor of New York, Bill de Blasio called for. But because we had Trump who was more conservative and who believes in more of a limited government, that didn't happen. He basically worked with the states. He worked within the constitutional system. He uh, helped as a last resort, as a stopgap. And, uh, but he allowed the states each to, to uh, develop their own policies based upon their own uh, individual uh, level of crisis. And of course, we've seen what's happened with that. You've seen some of the more authoritarian blue states, so-called, the, the, le the left-wing states, take you know become drunk with the power that that was involved there but it didn't happen on a federal level and i don't think it's going to happen now i think there are there are forces in the country that would like that to happen it probably would have already happened but i don't think trump is going to go that way i think he's going to continue to operate carefully and and within the uh, constitutional you know purview i i would hope so remember that was a novel Okay, and it was written when Barack Obama was, was president. Right. I was asked on, on uh, my radio show at the time, I'm in 1510 in Phoenix. Okay, and prior to that, I, well, that's a long time. My history goes back. I'm old. I'm old, Charles. So, but, but I was asked the question, where did Obama come from? And I, I couldn't figure it out. So I, I wrote this book about him. And, and so people say, well, then you're anti-Obama and you're pro-Trump. I said, no. I am not anti or pro either one. I take every president going all the way back. I look at their each individual situation. There are things that I disagree with President Trump. There's things I agree. There are things I disagree. Now, sometimes more with different ones like Obama or Clinton and like that. Maybe there are things I did agree on. Someone once said, well, what do you think about Lincoln and Washington? I said, the jury's still out on those guys. I make decisions slowly on these characters. But... The bottom line is uh, situations will dictate, okay? And he will, uh, the one thing I discovered about Donald Trump, he's not afraid to react. Sometimes he might overreact, but he is not afraid to, to react and maybe do what the situation calls for, which I think is 
is very, very important. Um, but we are in a, we are in a very uh, interesting time period. And from the standpoint, uh, historically, people who say, uh, well, I don't really like history. Well, those, I, I think it was, was it Churchill once said that those who don't study history are doomed to repeat it. Actually, no, it was Santana that said that. It was the poet in Spain. Mm -hmm. But we take a look at, uh, we, we, we look at, go back to uh, World War II. You talk about uh, collecting people, concentration camps. Uh, they were basically centers. Who did they pick up? All the Japanese, because they felt the Japanese, even though they might have been there for 30 years in the country, were a threat to this country. Let's swing it over. All right, you, Charles, take a conservative stance. I take a conservative stance. Maybe the powers to be think we are a threat to this country. Come pick us up. It has been done before. It's not unprecedented. No, it's not. It's, 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 it's simply a repeat of history. And so yeah. I would say that given the people who want to be in power, okay, um, especially like as an example, I, I look at, see, Minnesota drives me crazy, Joe, okay? I'm not talking about the Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, like, I'm talking about a liberal state controlled by liberals, controlled by Democrats, hasn't voted for Republican, I don't even think they went for Reagan, I mean, forever, right? And yet, where did most of the violence in the city start? Where did it start? It started in Minneapolis, okay? And the, the state is like deteriorated. So to me, you look at that state, it's the death of liberalism, right? Right there. But, but with all due respect to, to this whole thing, could they win the next election and win everything? Anything is possible in this all of impossible world that we've got out there. Sure. It, is, it is crazy. So you don't know. I mean, it gives you a lot to talk about. No, all we could do is uh, put out the message as best we can and um, hope to reach people. But um, I mean, I, I do think, I mean, I don't know if this is what you're saying, but I do think that this is an example of the failure of the, uh, of the liberal left in these states. And you look at the, you know, California also, I mean, it's a disaster. So is in New York. Uh, but uh, will that move the needle in terms of people thinking about uh, their liberalism? I think it might. You know, I think that they, we could see um, the Democratic Party, which has been completely captive by them, put out of business for the next 30 years. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, this is maybe from my mouth to God's ear, but, you know, I mean, I think that with, with these catastrophes, you could see it. And I think that they know it. So anyway, Bill, but um, this has been a really interesting talk. Let my listeners and viewers know where they can get your book and get information about you and your website or anything else you'd like to share. Yes, thank you very much. You can go to Bill Tatro. It's spelled T as in Tom, A, T as in Tom, R, O, BillTatro.com. That goes to my website. Um, you can try a seven-day free trial. My, uh, my podcast, okay, um, and my, actually, my website and I talk is for subscription, okay? When I left radio and decided to go back in several years ago when I retired, and I said to my producer, um, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to do something, but I, I want to get paid for it, okay? And I want to get paid. So we have subscribers all over the world. And we do our show three, four times a week. It's on everything. It's finance. It's, it's on everything, okay? And so we do that. Then I do 
Um, and that is that. That's uh, that particular thing. Then I do the daily, uh, the podcast, I should say the podcast, which is the day, I call it the daily dose. Daily dose with Bill Tate. It is about five to six minutes. That's it. Mm -hmm. I talk history, I talk finance, I talk everything. That's free. You can go on Bill Tatro or uh, Daily Dose with Bill Tatro. That's every single day. Uh, if you've got six minutes, listen to it. Good. Because I, will, I, I teach you right now this week, we're talking about derivatives in the market. And I, I educate, I talk history, I talk finance, and it is all very informative. And I would listen to it myself if I wasn't doing it. So. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be checking it out. Believe me. Yeah, it's five to six minutes a day. That's it. Um, they can follow me on Twitter and the Tatro Show, T-A-T-R-O Show. But to get it all, just go to BillTatro.com. And right. that, that gives everything. Um, this book, 44th, The Presidential Conspiracy, they can get and they should get it. It's very, you know, it's good. And I'll just show you one more because we're going to put this out not in book form, we're going to put this out strictly as an ebook, the one hour survival guide for the downsides, what you need to know when you're let go. I put it out 20 years ago. I've updated it. We're going to call it the Corona version and COVID-19 version. So that's coming out in about a month. Good. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm supposedly retired, but I'm working more than I did before. There you go. No, very interesting. I, I hope to be in touch with you from time to time. <clears throat> I, I would like to make this uh, a frequent thing. I think I, I've enjoyed it. And uh, I find us on the same wavelength, but then we got to be off a little bit. That makes for good radio. Exactly. All right, Bill Tatro. Listen, I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, great talking with you. Have a great afternoon. Charles, thank you very much. Have a great day. All right, Bill. Thank you. Take care. Okay, buddy. And I'll send you a link to YouTube once it's up. Super. Good. Thank I'll you. Thank you. All right.